I'm John Bailey, and on this week's episode of Popcorn Junkie, I'll be reviewing the only new release to have come out this past weekend, Winchester, as well as do an extended Netflix and chat about some of the stuff I streamed over the weekend. Mainly Mudbound, A Futile and Stupid Gesture, and Tiny Toons, How I Spent My Summer Vacation. So, let's get started. Sounds of the rude world heard in the day. I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid. You leave my family alone. Your anger will never defeat us. You know, Super Bowl weekend is usually a bad time for movie going, but uh, uh, I, I don't know. Like, I, I, it's hard to say which movie Super Bowl weekend release is the worst of them all. But movie theaters uh, and uh, studio Hollywood studios tend to realize, oh yeah, people aren't going to be going outside this weekend. They're going to be staying in watching the game. So just dump something. Just dump anything out there. Who cares? Although I think, um, I don't remember if the first Fifty Shades came out Super Bowl weekend or not. I forget. I'll have to look back on that. But, uh, yeah, so this time around we got a, the latest from CBS Films, which is the, you know, where, uh, while NBC is owned by Universal, NBC is part of NBC Universal, and, um, ABC is owned by Disney, of course. So they don't need their own studio, but CBS, whoever their parent company is, decided to allow CBS, uh, the the channel and the studio, to open their own movie franchise, which brought us such things as uh, Extreme Measures, which was that uh, pretty bad movie featuring Brendan Fraser and uh, I believe was it was it um what's his name uh really bad Pa Kent um. What's his name? Field of Dreams. Why can't I remember his name? Oh, no, it wasn't that guy. It was Harrison Ford. Um, why can't I remember the the lead actor from Field of Dreams? Um, uh, Kevin Costner. How did I forget that name? Uh, but no, CBS Films, uh, well, it's first out... It's first foray was Extraordinary Measures, which didn't even get back its full budget... They've also done The Backup Plan, The Woman in Black, Black, Beastly, The Words, Seven Psychopaths, The Last Exorcism Part 2, The To-Do List, Last Vegas, Gambit, which I don't even remember. I think that was the Mark Wahlberg uh, poker movie. Uh, something called Pride, The Duff, Get a Job, which I don't even think came out in theaters near me, although they did do Hell or High Water, and a, and last year they did American Assassin, so, like, their best movie is Hell or High Water, <laughs> that's, that, let maybe Inside Lewin Davis, you're into that, uh, Kings of Summer, I hear good things about, Seven Psychopaths is alright, but yeah, most of the stuff is really not great like cbs does not have a good track record and supposedly they're going to be doing the uh deus ex movie so oof, good luck with that uh but yeah 
This was a co. This was a co. Well, like, apparently CBS is a distributor, production distributor. So most of the stuff seems to be uh, distribution, not production. Like, okay, Hell or High Water was a co-production with like four other people, and then Patriots Day is a distributor. Is a dis- they shared distribution with Lionsgate. So wait, the CBS Corporation. Mass media. So does CBS own Lion? CBS doesn't own Lionsgate, does it? Or are they a subsidiary of Viacom? Oh no, this is, they split from Viacom. I'm I'm learning all of this on the fly, honestly. Uh, possible acquisition of Lionsgate with Viacom. Possible remerger with Viacom. So yeah, CBS has been trying to run it on its own. After splitting from Viacom, but that yeah, things aren't going so hot for them, obviously. Although their TVN seems to be doing all right, that I think it's the only thing old people watch anymore. So yeah, uh, this was a code. This one was a co-distribution with Lionsgate. So this was a lion, another Lionsgate horror production, and oof, yeah. Let's just say. Uh, Lionsgate isn't isn't known for delivering high quality horror, <laughs> uh, for the most part. Neither is Blumhouse either, sadly. Anyway, the premise here is: uh, if you've ever um, heard of this house, uh, Sarah Winchester, the widow of the gun manufacturer William Winchester, after her husband's death, built this really avant-garde like like weirdly laid out house in uh, San Jose, California that was um, purported to be the most haunted house in America for a while and is considered one of the most haunted houses in the world. And for this, they decided to... um, And so you, you could tell an interesting story about Sarah Winchester and the building of the house and how she may be crazy, but there may be something there that we don't know. And that's what it seemed like this movie wanted to go for, with uh, Jason Clark playing a Loudonum, which I think it they someone um, described that as an opiate, but okay, a tincture of opium. Okay, so Loudonum, it's Loudonum specifically, but he's an opioid, he's an opiate addict, and um, so he. Uh, goes to he is recruited by Sarah Winchester personally essentially she's the she picked him specifically which they get into later on during the movie and you the premise could make for a good movie Sarah Winchester is she crazy is she not what's the deal with this house the way to describe it it's absolutely bug nuts doesn't make any damn sense not sure if that's how the Sarah the actual Sarah Winchester thought or not Basically, the idea is that 13 nails holds in these spirits that have to cross over when I build them a room, build them the room they tied in. Why do you have to build them their room? What, are they just going to haunt? Like, there's no real reason given why uh, she has to build the rooms uh, that they get, that they make her design. Like, there's no reason for her to do it. Like, there's no, there doesn't seem to be any real repercussions. Like, 
I don't remember any point in the movie being like, well, I tried I tried ignoring it the first time and then they, you know, like, uh, smashed up my room and haunted me for months on end. So I decided, you know, it's better off, I'm better off, um, you know, building this room to quiet the spirit. But in which case, if they wanted the room they died in, then why did they have to be kept in there with 13 nails? And it's all very poorly thought out that wants to try and sound more, um, more, uh, spiritual and like mystical than it actually is it's really stupid when you think about it and the whole point is that oh it's these are victims of the of the winchester firearm going so far as to showcase uh, like a like an indigenous chief or warrior i think it was supposed to be a chief and um a, a, a literal slave like a black person in chains as victims of the Winchester firearm, it's really, really insensitive. But they don't hang on it long enough for it to be a big deal. It's just like, oh, by the way, also there's a slave and there's a there's a there's a Native American. Toodles, see ya. They're just kind of hanging out, you know. <laughs> These are just my ghost tenants. They're just kind of hanging around, not doing anything. Uh, God, it's so so bizarrely stupid, and yet at the same time. You'd think, oh, it's going to be crazy stupid fun, you know, for this kind of horror movie. Like, it's not going to be genuinely scary because, I'll tell you one thing. The t for, this is one of the first, um, I guess Insidious kind of suffered from this too. Maybe not the first, but it, it's this seems to be one of the laziest uh, uses of jump scares I've ever seen. Like, I get the point of a jump scare. You want to startle the audience. So you surprise them with something coming out from the shadows. I get that. I get the reason for the jump scare. However, this movie telegraphs every single jump scare from a mile away. So ev you're just sitting there like... It's like that bit in the... Uh, uh, Nostalgia critic mummy review where he has to go to the bath where he goes to the bathroom while waiting for the jump scare to happen And then uh, AVGN is like, oh, by the way, it happened. You know, it's, it so it's like a, a, a couple minutes pass and then uh, Oh, the jump scare happened. Oh god, I'm so scared <laughs> That's basically this movie. This movie has that all over the place. Every jump scare is intended to be a is telegraphed so far in advance that you can't really be scared by it. It's more like, hey, we're gonna do it. We're gonna scare ya. We're gonna scare ya. And they don't, like, a clever person could take that uh, idea of the buildup and then, like, leave it flat and then come back and jump scare you. Like, I just played through a Doki Doki Literature Club and I got to the... I got to one of the endings. Uh, I think it's my second ending, technically. Uh, but there's a bit in that where it leads, thinks it's leading you to a jump scare. Doesn't do, doesn't fall, you know, doesn't go through the scare and then all of a sudden, boom! So, I mean, a clever person would do, would subvert the jump scare like that. Where it's like, oh, there's nothing really there. And then the jump scare happened from somewhere you weren't expecting. That's the new thing. Because most jump scares are pretty old hat anyways. They are so overly used in horror movie that that's, you know, it's kind of like the only way to really bring new life into it um, is to subvert it by doing a sort of like 
fake jump scare, like, oh, it's building up to a scare. And then nothing happens. And so it's like, well, that's stupid. Why did nothing happen? Boo! Jump scare. You know? Uh, Wikipedia has it right. Uh, the movie received negative reviews from critics who called it dull and pointless. This reviewer tends to agree. Because that's the whole thing. Like, Jason Clark and Helen Mirren are fine. For the most part, I just saw Jason Clark in something I'm going to cover on Netflix and chat with Mudbound. And he is so much better in that as kind of a uh, asshole-ish character that uh, he that here it, he's pretty much wasted. Like, they could have done something with the idea of, oh, he's an opioid addict. So is this in his dream? Is, this, is, this, is he really seeing this or is this... His brain tri playing tricks on him. Ooh. They could have done that, but they don't really. In fact, they go so far as to say... They go so far as to say, you know, oh, oh no, none of that have anything to do with him. Here's what's really going on. And it's so stupid. And yet, I don't want to spoil it for you if you want to go see it yourself, you know? Like, if you're genuinely interested in hearing... Um, the, the the really bad twist towards the end, you know, you could, I'm sure somebody else will spoil it for you. We, we can go, have a full-on discussion with that. You can have a discussion with that online somewhere, but yeah, like, everything this movie does is so plotting and uninteresting, and like, these are the guys who did, just did Jigsaw. Uh, the Spirit Brothers, who did last year's Jigsaw, and are be better known for uh, Daybreakers, which was uh, this vampire movie with Ethan Hawke and Willem Dafoe, and something called Predestination. I'm not familiar with them too much. I never saw Undead, which was their first movie with Lionsgate, nor did I see Daybreakers. But if this is the kind of stuff they make, why should I bother? Like... If are all their movies going to be this slow and boring and pointless? Who cares? Like nothing of merit really happens. Even by the end and it during the climactic battle, they feel the need to throw in like an actual villain for Jason Clark and Helen Mirren to quote unquote fight. And it's so so stupid and forced. Here's the thing. Like I said, you could have done something interesting about the idea of, is this woman crazy? What is this, what is really going on in this house? And instead, what they did is they buy the numbers. It's by the numbers, one for one thing, but then it's so, even it's, it's barely over 90 minutes. And yet I, it dragged. This 90 minute movie dragged its way all the way to the end. This movie could have felt so dull and lifeless. It's like the film itself was a zombie. So yeah, I have no idea if these uh, guys are any any good. I haven't seen any of their other stuff. But quite honestly, compared to this, if, it, if this is what I have to go off of for them, why should I seek out their older stuff? Because they're obviously not all that great. <laughs> if they couldn't make something about supposedly the most haunted house in American history interesting. And although they may, they may be them as directors, I don't know. No, they wrote they wrote the screenplay too, so they had helped. This is them presenting to us 
what the, how they see like one of the scariest aspects, one of the scariest haunted houses in America, and I would much rather stay in an actual haunted house. I could actually have fun with that here. Nah, man. Skip it and watch a scary movie, or at least a fun movie. Don't waste your time on this garbage. Salutations, ladies and gentlemen. It's the Popcorn Junkie here for a little Netflix and chat. Alright. And so for the rest of the actual reviews, we're going to be talking about stuff I stream because, like I said, nothing new came out in theaters. It was just Winchester. So uh, I caught up on some stuff on Netflix. Um, one that came out recently, one that's been getting the, going through the rounds for uh, the awards nominations that I've been commenting on. Um, so let's talk about that one first. Mudbound came out last year, had a limited release run in theaters to qualify for the Oscars because... That's the only way folks like Amazon and Netflix are going to get actual... No the Golden Globes, they factor in uh, streaming no problem. For all these other movie folks, apparently the theater industry, the, 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 you know, the movie theater lobby has such a stranglehold on them that God forbid somebody nominates streaming stuff. I mean, Oscars doesn't... Does, so, like, does Netflix have to do it for the documentaries too? Because like... Four or five of their documentaries this year alone have been nominated. So did they get a theatrical run before being distributed by Netflix? Or I, I don't understand. It's so stupid and backwards, and it's all there as part of elitist snobbery. Uh, but I'll get into that in the discussion portion. Uh, as for the movie itself, it's rough. Like... It really is just a slog of a movie. Not to say that it's bad, but if you're not one of those people, if you're one of those people that um, doesn't have the stomach for seeing depictions of race, uh, racism, and poverty and violence, like this is this is this this is a hard hard. This could have easily been released in the theaters along along with the likes of like Twelve Years a Slave or the Hostiles movie I just watched. Um, this this could hold, this holds its own right alongside those, and I really hope to see D Reese, uh, D E E R E E S, uh, the director of this movie. I hope she does more because she's obviously showcased, you know, her ability as a director with this kind of material, and I hope to see her do either more drama, maybe expand and do some comedies. I'm not sure her um her background. Let me pull her up. Uh, I don't know. If, I don't think this is her first movie. It may be her first made. Okay, no, she's done a couple. Uh, something called Pariah and another thing called Bessie. And those are all feature length. Uh, she's also directed a couple episodes of Empire, and she just did an episode of Philip K. Dick's Electric Dreams, which is Amazon's answer to uh, Black Mirror. Uh, Pariah tells the story of Alec Alike. It's it's spelled like a like it's spelled the same way as the word alike, but I don't I'm I'm guessing that's not how it's uh, pronounced. I haven't seen the movie. I can't say. Uh, and it's a African American embracing her identity as a lesbian. Cool. Sounds like a neat movie. I I I I check that out. Um, 
And then her other one, Bessie, started by, starring Queen Latifah, was made for HBO about the blues singer Bessie Smith. Okay, so sadly, the only her only two thing well, sadly, but like her only major thing, her major movie releases were for HBO and Netflix. Aside from Pariah, which was a an independent production, although she did something called Eventual Salvation, which also oh she's a oh she's an open lesbian. Neat things I'm learning about D. Reese and. <laughs> As I'm watching this, uh, I'm not sure why it's. Oh, that must be the short Pariah. So she adapted her short into a feature length, and then Eventual Salvation was a documentary. Having barely escaped with her life over a decade ago, my American-born 80-year-old grandmother returns to Monrovia, Liberia, to rebuild her home after the Liberian Civil War. Aww, that's sweet. So she's the uh, so she's the descendant of a Liberian woman and she's an open lesbian uh she's doing something called an uncivil war coming out of the renowned journalist and feminist crusader gloria steinem Ooh, starring carrie mulligan neat uh so that's so good to see she's getting more work because damn knows the girls uh, the woman deserves it she's a, just an out you know she's uh, she's just a great director just just from what i've seen with mudbound i'll have to i'll have to check out pariah and bessie to be to Maybe I'll check out that episode of um, Electric Dream, Electric Dreams. Uh, see which one. Uh, let's see which one's that. Episode seven. Uh, episode seven is Kill All Others. At video advertising is everywhere. North America is a single nation with a single presidential candidate. Less enthusiastic about consumerism and is a low motivation QA worker on a production line during the candidate's speech one night. Philip Pierce utter words kill all others while those words flash on the screen few others have seen or heard the message but many are affected by it huh so that's interesting uh you've got Vera Farmiga as the candidate um nobody I really recognize in the in the cast though I uh, although I hear uh Brian Cranston and um ooh Juno Temple's in it Janelle Monet, uh Anna Paquin Terrence Howard Steve Buscemi's in this I heard that's why wow, was one of the selling points Benedict Wong is in this uh, so I'll have to check the show out. Um, anyway, uh, yeah, D. Reese is, uh, she, she's, um, she, she seems to be a star on the rise. I wish nothing but the best for her. And back to the movie itself. Woof. Woof. Man, is it rough. Um, the basic premise is, uh, Carrie Mulligan and Jason Clark. Uh, it starts off with uh, Jason Clark and his brother, played by Garrett Hedlund, uh, trying digging a hole to bury their deceased father. And then it flashes back to how Jason Clark met his wife, Carrie Mulligan, and uh, how they came to move from Memphis, Tennessee, somewhere to somewhere in the Mississippi Delta. I don't think they give a specific region, but it's a region that suffers from uh, uh, from from uh, flooding during the rainy season. So they'll oftentimes they'll be, uh, they'll be uh, uh, cut off from, the, from town and have be, and be stranded in their farm. And even that, and then that, those floods will also ruin their crops. So it's, it's, it's a genuinely like impoverished area that's not fit for farming, but people try to eke out a living there. I mean, it, it may be fit for farming in some aspect, but it, it, it seems to suffer a lot from natural uh, occurrences. Uh, 
while there, uh, he sharecrops the land with uh, the Jackson family, uh, feature uh, who are played by the nominated, uh, multi-nominated uh, Mayor J. Blige as uh, Florence, but it also features Netflix mainstay actor who's been featured in the Marvel series as Turk something. I forget his last name. Turks. What's what's his last name? Uh, the actor's name is Rob Morgan. Turk Barrett is the character. He's a low-level criminal in the in the Marvel Netflix series, and then Rob Morgan is also been in Stranger Things. So he's kind of like the, uh, he's been kind of a, kind of a mainstay with a lot of these Netflix productions. And he plays the patriarch, uh, Hap Jackson. And Hap wants to own his own land, be a farmer in his own right, but he can't where they live in Mississippi. So he's trying to save up enough money to move away from there. Unfortunately, he has to do so by sharecropping the land from uh, Jason Clark's Henry. And as as the this takes place in the thirties, and it moves as it moves forward, it, it goes up to well, it takes place in like I think nineteen thirty nine. It starts, and then it goes up through the forties, and Garrett Headland and and um, Hap Jackson's son Ronzel, played by Jason Mitchell, who I don't who I didn't recognize. Uh, oh, he was Easy E and straight out of Compton. S- cool stuff. He's also just in uh, Kong Skull Island. Okay. And he was in Keanu. Okay, so I know this dude. I know this dude from stuff. Um, but Ronzel and uh, Jamie, Garrett Hedlund's character, end up fighting in World War II. Garrett, uh, Jamie is a pilot. Ronzel is a tank commander. And when they come back, Jamie suffers from PTSD and becomes an alcoholic, while Ronzel has to go from being, uh, a, you know, being a war hero to being treated as... You know, a second-class citizen because things haven't changed in Mississippi. In fact, he even comments on the fact that he can walk around. He, he can walk around in his uh, GI uniform, and everyone still treats him, at, at, you know, as an animal because he's black. And he even stands up to uh, Jonathan Banks, who I was thinking of Jonathan Winters, who I'll talk about in a bit. But Jonathan Banks is best known for. Um, uh, Breaking Bad, Better Call Saul, and he was in the last season of Community. Uh, Jonathan Banks plays uh, Henry and Jamie's father, Pappy McCallan. And he is just over, just awful, awful human being. And for some reason, they put up with his sorry ass. I don't know what... I don't get the thing. Here's the thing I don't get. We've got assholes in our family. Every family has assholes. Why, Why in God's name would you ever keep those people around in your life? Ever. Like, for some reason, Henry living perfectly fine in Memphis. Like, did I miss something? Like, I think the only reason... Okay, it's, it's Marietta, Mississippi, so they do, give a, they do give a place. But why would he go from Memphis, where he's living reasonably well for the time, to a dirt farm in, Missis- in, in Mississippi... That suffers from rain damage <laughs> because of its location. Why would he do this? And that's the whole thing. Like, he, one of the first things is Henry, it's revealed that Henry got swindled. So he thought he was buying a, a, a nice piece of farmland and the good dude swindled him. So he has to settle for this dirt land. Why didn't he just go back to Memphis? Like, why is this dude so, like, the only reason this dude is... 
so set on farming that we get to hear from him is that his grandfather who owned a plantation was like, here, son, pick up that dirt. What is that? Dirt. Now give it to me. What is it now? Dirt? No, son, this is land because I own it. And it was something like that as though he couldn't own land in Memphis. Like, I don't get why he's so bent on being a farmer and living in poverty when he seemed to be doing reasonably well and... <sighs> so yeah, I, I don't like Henry. I really don't like Henry. And, it, and that becomes more and more apparent as the movie goes on. But... Um, as I was saying... Uh, so yeah, they come back from Germany. Uh, Roncel even had an affair with a German woman. Uh... While he was over there, and as things go, things goes on. Things go on. Jamie continue, you know, continues to fall into alcoholism, and he just is living an absolutely miserable life because, for one thing, his family is a bunch of assholes between Henry and his father. Like their their father is pissed that his son didn't know the people he killed because he was a pilot. Like, this dude is just an asshole. And Henry's like, oh, man, he means, well, he's real proud of you. Well, he sure is a bad way of showing it, Henry, you jackass. Don't defend. The and, of course, when Roncel is trying to leave through the front door like a damn human being, uh, Pappy and some ass, some hill rotter standing in his way. And Henry comes up and is like, no, Roncel, don't, we don't want to fuss. Don't want to cause any trouble. And then he demands Roncel apologize to him and his father for wanting to leave the front door, Henry. You can suck cocks in hell. Sorry, I, I have a very, at this day and age, I do not, I would not tolerate that bullshit. I almost said a bad word on the podcast. I would not tolerate that if I, I, I swear, if I saw anything like that, I would sock Henry right in the jaw. And I, I'd break the old man's hip. Tough talk coming from a guy who barely leaves his house. But still, just boils my blood when I have to see crap like that from people. Freaking backwards inbred hill rods. And, I, and of course, through the whole time, we, you can't help but feel bad for uh, Carrie Mulligan's character who's been dragged from her well-to-do life in Memphis to live in poverty because her she had the she made the mistake of marrying a dumbass like Henry. So she's so she has to spend the rest of her miserable life with this dumbass. I honestly wish that I honestly wish they would have shown her just running away with the kids. Taking the kids Going back to live with their parents in Memphis. Leave Henry to rot in his dirt farm in Mississippi. Because screw him. If you couldn't tell, uh, I did not much care for the character of Henry. Uh, so yeah, it's, it, what, I think those are the big things. And then there's a, a major climax uh, when, um, when uh, a bunch of the locals find out that Roncel had an affair with a, with a white German woman while he was away. And it then it all eventually comes back to what happened the very beginning, uh, and what happened with uh, Pappy and how he died and all and why they're burying and uh, the tension between uh, the Jacksons who are look like they're about to leave and um, the McAllens. And 
It does end on a nice note. I will say this. It ends on a good, a feel-good moment. Because you need that. You need some tinges of hope in this bleak and depressing story. And I don't know if the book's any good. I just borrowed it from uh, Overdrive from my local library. So I'm going to read through that um, in the next couple of weeks. Uh, I, I may do a book corner. <laughs> I, I, for, you know what? Maybe I'll do a book corner or like a book club podcast or something. I don't know. I'll try it out. I'll, I'll record uh, I'll record a uh, test episode, see if people are interested. But, um, yeah, uh, this movie is very, very well done. Dee Reese did a... She also wrote, um, co-wrote the screenplay with Virgil Williams, who I'm not familiar with. All the actors are great. While Mary J. Blige got the nomination, I feel like Carrie Mulligan is all should have all like you could have easily uh, put Carrie Mulligan in one of the uh, one of the best actress categories, and even uh, like supporting actor for Rob Morgan would have been great. Uh, yeah, they're all all the cast. Even Jason like Jason Clark is good enough in his role to really make you like he is not despicable the way the Jonathan Banks as Pappy is but Henry is just a bullheaded just in ignorant just all around dumbass and and it, it really and it really it just showcases how um how awful you could be without being overtly, like, right. Like, he's not, he's never overtly racist. It's all in the subtext. And you have to read into the fact that Henry's a racist, just like his dad. And it's just, he thinks he's better because he doesn't say the things his dad does. But he's still an awful person. Uh, yeah, Mud, if you haven't already, check out Mudbound. Really good movie. D. Reese did a phenomenal job. So did the cast. I mean, you gotta have the stomach for it. But if you if you if you're able to if you're able to watch those kinds of movies, then it's right. It, it, it's it's a phenomenal movie, and it definitely deserves its accolades. Uh, the next one I watched came out this came out a couple weekends ago, I think, or like the last weekend from this uh, end of January, and it's about. Um, I think Douglas Keeney, if I've gotten the name right, uh, the founder, one of the founders of uh, Kenny, is it Kenny, Doug Kenny, yeah, uh, and he's a uh, one of the co-founders of uh, National Lampoon because he he um, went to Harvard and that's where he and that's where he worked on the Harvard Lampoon, as it was known, um, which I think is still going. Undergraduate Humor Publication, founded in 1876, and I think it's still going as a publication right now. Um, I don't think it ended. Yeah, I think it's still going. I put alumni, included Conan O'Brien, Andy Borowitz, BJ Novak, Colin Jost. Oof, I, I, I got issues with Colin Jost. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think it's, I don't think it ended. I think it's still going as a publication. Yeah, Year Founded doesn't say an end year, so I'm going to assume it's still going. Uh, current Harvard uh, attendees and recent alumni, uh, please allow 
please let me know if you uh, are for more. Okay, here's some stuff about uh, the recent presidential election and whatnot. Um, so there, apparently there's a there's a rival newspaper at Harvard. Uh, long-standing rivalry with Harvard's student new, regular student newspaper, The Crimson. Okay, so Lampoon is the is like the their onion, and then The Crimson is their student newspaper. Okay, uh, so. Henry B, uh, Doug Kenny and Henry Beard both attended Harvard at the same time. And as they were graduating, Henry, Doug and Henry decided, um, I think it was Doug, this, this depicted Doug as the one who, um, okay. And then there was also, uh, alumnus Robert Hoffman, who I don't think they depicted in the movie. Uh, they just, they, but, uh, Henry Beard and Doug Kenny, along with Robert Hoffman, who is, I don't, I don't, maybe he's depicted. Let me double check. Let me see in the cast list. I may have missed him. Uh, no, it doesn't look like it. Uh, it looks like they accidentally left him out. Although they do acknowledge that, which I like. Um, <laughs> okay, I just noticed the uh, poster. Uh, the poster is a tribute to uh, one of the National Lampoon's covers where they hold a gun up to a dog, and the and the and the cover was and the basic cover was if you don't buy this magazine we'll kill this dog, and so the tagline for the movie is if you don't watch this movie we'll kill Will Forte who plays uh, Doug Kenny, and um, so yeah Doug, Kenny and Henry Beard played by Dom Lo Gleason, uh, who is uh, one of who's one of the bat he was Bill Weasley. In Harry Potter, uh, he was the he was the uh, protagonist in Ex Machina, and he's General Hux in the new Star Wars. And he just played A.A. A. Milne in a biopic about him and him and uh, the creation of Winnie the Pooh. And he's also about, I'm about to see him this coming weekend in Peter Rabbit. Oh boy, I feel sorry for the guy. At least here he got to be genuinely funny. Uh, so yeah, Will Forte is Doug Kenny, and uh, Domino Gleason is Henry Beard. And after graduating, they decide to to take the Harvard Lampoon and go national, calling it the National Lampoon. And so they work, and so that's they meet up with the founder, the uh, publisher of of um, of uh, Weight Watchers magazine. Uh, Maddie Simmons is the publisher. Uh, former news newspaper executive vice president of Diners Club, the first credit card company. And uh, 21st Century was cre created to publish a counterculture magazine called Cheetah. Uh, he had success with the Weight Watchers magazine, and then they, and then they become they be he sort of became one of the de facto heads of the new National Lampoon as it grew. And so the movie depicts most of Doug Kenny's life uh, from founding a National Lampoon and the recruiting of all their writers. With a great, great cast of um, comedians, uh, Matt Lucas, who's been, who's a who's a great British comedian, plays one of the uh, one of their main uh, uh, writers, as well as Tom Lennon from Reno 911 and the State. Uh, I'm trying to think uh, who else plays there. Um, Where's the list of... There's Matt Lucas, there's Tom Lennon, there's, um... Uh, who played, um... 
McDonough, McDonough was uh, Tom Lennon. Here, let me pull up the IMDb. For some reason, Wikipedia's cast list is is different from IMDb's. IMDb's is by order of appearance. Wikipedia seems to be haphazard. Um, oh, and while that's going on, um, Martin Mole as sort of the modern day Doug Kenny uh, shows up to kind of break the fourth wall. It's it's a lovely little uh, little uh, twist on it. Um, Matt Lucas. Uh, Natasha Leone, who I'm not as familiar with, uh, but who is Nikki Nichols on Orange is the New Black, and was also in Detroit Rock City, plays like the main female writer they depict. And then um, Neil Casey is the other uh, writer they depict. Neil Casey being uh, who is known for as a uh, someone named Rowan North. I don't remember. I think he is the bad guy in the new Ghostbusters, but he's also been a writer on SNL, and I think he worked on Inside Amy Schumer, and he was even in the Mystery Team, which was from uh, uh, Donald Glover before he uh, became Childish Gambino and and broke out from that. That was like his YouTube uh, comedy uh, sketch team that made that movie. So, it's like I said, just great... Even, like, little bits. There's, like, Carrie Kenny from Reno 911 in the state is, like, on there for, like, a few seconds. But, like, they, the cast list gets better from that. Because then you got Ed Helms shows up for a bit. Seth Green is on there for, like, a hot second. Joel McHale plays Chevy Chase, who has a very major um, connection with Doug Kenny. So you get to see him do his Chevy Chase throughout the movie. You've got uh, John Daly. No, no relation because it's not spelled the same. Uh, but he's a com- he's a stand-up I'm familiar with. He's been on that midnight, and he's I've seen some of his I th- I've seen him in a, pop up in a bunch of stuff. He plays uh, Bill Murray really well. He has a great Bill Murray impression. Uh, and uh, Joel Atrulio from uh, Brooklyn Nine Nine, uh, it, it it plays like the Universal uh, executive or like. Uh, producer that works with them on Animal House and Caddyshack. Paul Shearer is a, has a bit part as Paul Schaefer from The Tonight Show or uh, Late Night with David Letterman. It really is just like a, a cute... Emmy Rossum from uh, Shameless is it plays his wife. Uh, I'm not familiar with Jackie Tone, but like there's a whole list of people who play... Uh, Jackie Tone was just in Glow. Um... Uh, and Sisters and The Good Place. Okay, so she's... I'm not as familiar with her. Uh, I think she's the... Um, I know, she's a character I'm not familiar with. I'm not, she's not who I thought she was. Uh, oof, she got put in chips. Whoops. Um, but yeah, she, she seems to be a major character in Glow, which was also for Netflix. And uh, she plays Gilda Radner and does a, a pretty decent Gilda Radner. Uh... Because that's the thing. As the magazine gets successful, uh, Doug Kenny starts to do the spinoff radio show, which is where they got Gilda Radner, Bill Murray, Christopher Guest, John Belushi. A lot of the major players in comedy at the time started out from National Lampoon, and that's when they got the Lemmings tour. Uh, The guy playing John Belushi, John Gemberling, uh, who I'm not too familiar with, uh, apparently, he was on the soundtrack for Citizen Toxie, Toxic Avenger 4. Oh, he's on Human Giant, too. Okay. 
he's been working on the President Show as Steve Bannon, and he's been on uh, Broad City. So he's he's a he played John Hancock in that short-lived Making History show too. So I mean, he's been around. Like I said, most of these, if you follow uh, present-day comedy at all, you'll probably recognize a lot of these actors uh, in some form or another. And uh, and, and as things go along. Um, that's when uh, you know it goes through Doug. You know, so the, as things go along, the the lemmings get big, and then Doug Kenny has a nervous breakdown, goes off to write a novel, comes back and uh, go and is and has and Henry and works with Henry to to uh, spin off into movies, and that's where they get uh, Animal House, and but you know that's where they team up with Ivan Reitman and. Uh, while he's there, he also it also covers how like a bunch of uh, like I said, Gilda Radner, John Belushi, Bill Murray, Chevy Chase, all these guys, all all these comedians that used to do National Lampoon, go off and start with start doing Saturday Night Live. So Doug Kenny has a real chip on his shoulder that the, the National Lampoon wasn't that show because they had an, a show offering, but all these guys that worked for him. Became uh, started getting famous through SNL, and like Lord even offers her, him a job, and he scoffs at it because he wants to be his own boss. He doesn't want to be an employee, and that's when he goes off and does movies and go and goes to make uh, Animal House. And it, it once again, it's one one of the things I really didn't uh, expect going into this was, uh, oh hey, uh, Brian Husky. Was John Landis? Uh, Brian Husky uh, is uh, has been in a bunch of stuff. He's another one of those guys where he's like, okay, you would know him. Uh, he's been on People of Earth, Veep, Bob's Burgers, Another Period. He's a main. He's a he's a major character in that. He was um, he was just a disaster artist. I'm trying to think what else people might write. Children's Hospital. He was in. Uh, he was on College Humor. He's the, he's the um. If Ghoul was a guy for college humor, he did that bit. Uh, he plays John, young John Landis. And um, the movie kind of pit, ha, ha, reaches the major climax with the making of Caddyshack, which is apparently a coke-fueled madhouse where everybody was just coked out the whole time. And then Doug Kenny loses it when uh, Joe Latrulio, as the Universal producer, wants to make it make the movie about the uh, the gopher character, the little gopher uh, puppet, and the, and so Doug Kenny has another breakdown where Chevy Chase and um, Catherine, what's it, Catherine Walker, uh, who's played by Amy Rossum, his current wife at the time, his wife at that time, uh, have him. You know, take him to uh, Hawaii to detox, and it's there that um, it's it, I it's not really a spoiler since it's actual history, uh, but yeah, uh, Martin Wall playing present day Doug Kenny. That's a they they acknowledge that it's a it's a narrative device because the actual Doug Kenny passed away in 1980 shortly after the release of Caddyshack because he. Uh, they they're not they, they they never were sure whether or not he um, he slipped or he jumped. Uh, Harold Ramis used to comment that he slipped looking for a place to jump, 
Because, uh, I mean, that's that's the kind of relationship they had with Doug Kenny. And apparently Doug Kenny did suffer a lot from depression and, you know, substance abuse. So people were kind of expecting it. And so, uh, yeah, that, so the movie kind of, the movie ends with his funeral. And uh, it's a nice touching little tribute to uh, D- uh, Doug Kenny. Um it's not the best movie, but I, I think it has enough charm. It's uh, directed by David Wayne, who uh, was one of the co-creators of uh, of um, What Hot American Summer, and uh, was one of the was was again another uh, a lot of of uh, MTV's The State alumni here. Uh, the State being, for those who don't remember, a short-lived uh, sketch comedy series that, that was in the 90s where most of the Reno 911 alumni came from there. A lot of funny people came out of the state. And I, if you get the chance, go check out old episodes of the state. They're hilarious. And here, yeah, I mean, it's... It's a... It does... It goes through a lot of the biopic beats, but it also had... It like it, it, This is one of the first biopics I've ever seen acknowledge the fact that there were more people that in real life that were involved that were cut out for uh, time constraints and because they felt like it. Um, they acknowledge the fact that there that this isn't a full-on, this isn't exactly what happened. There are other issues, you know, there are other things going on besides this movie, what this movie depicts. And yet at the same time, it it, it kind of scratch, it kind of scratches the, you know, it starts to scratch the surface of the fact that, um, you know, Doug Kenny had a lot of issues, you know? He was always... And they reveal that partway through. Like, they, it opens with them going to a funeral, and they reveal partway through who the funeral was for. And it's, and, the, and, it's, and it kind of shows cases why, you know, all these reasons why Doug Kenny kind of had a chip on his shoulder the whole his whole life. And unfortunately, you know, he took care of that chip with, um, you know, being in the center of attention. And when he wasn't succeeding at that, he would delve into substance abuse. Even when he was succeeding, he would delve into substance abuse. And so he never really, you know, like he scoffs at being at seeing a shrink, but who knows? Maybe if he took care of his issues and besides, you know, outside of uh, substance abuse, he might have, we might ha- still have the guy. Although at the same time, the Zucker brothers, who they do show, what's, who's another? They showcase, they show um, the movie Airplane, and it, it kind of made Doug Kenny pissed because he was working on Caddyshack at the time. And he thought, well, Airplane's the new best comedy in the world after Animal House, since Animal House premiered. Nobody's going to care about his stupid golf comedy. So, once again, Doug Kenny always had this chip on his shoulder. And I think it, 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 it does kind of make you think, which is better, to be like Doug Kenny and to have died at the peak of your career? Uh, or to go be like the Zucker Brothers, who made Airplane and Kentucky Fried Movie... And then go on to make things like Scary Movie 4 and whatnot. Like, and I think they worked on Movie 43. Zucker Brothers have not been making good movies lately. So I think it's almost better that, you know, Doug Kenny didn't sober up and start making bad comedies. Although they do they have a funny aside where uh, the guy playing, um, uh, what's his name from uh, Caddyshack, Roddy Dangerfield... Uh, the guy playing Rodney Dagefield makes an aside to uh, the guy playing Harold Ramis, like, hey, you know, we should make another movie together. And then that's a, which is an acknowledgement of the fact that uh, Rodney Dagefield and Harold Ramis would go on to make Ladybugs. 
little fun asides like that. This this is very irreverent style, like, uh, like celebration of the life of Doug Kenny, as short as it was. And uh, it's not the best movie out there, but I had a good time. I, I thought it, I I enjoyed it for the most part, and I think it should. It's at least worth a watch. I mean. I probably wouldn't have seen it in theaters. It's definitely not good enough to pay like full price for at a theater. But as a Netflix movie, it's a nice, it's a nice touching tribute to one of the one of the main shapers of modern day American comedy. And uh, the last thing I'll say is I rewatched, I just rewatched uh, uh, Tiny Toons: How I Spent My Summer Vacation because it's available on Hulu. They finally put Animaniacs and Tiny Toons on Hulu. It's available to stream. My childhood is available to me at my fingertips. And, um, because, yeah, for the longest time, How I Spent My Summer Vacation was not available uh, for people. It was, like, only available on VHS. And so it seemed like they did a direct rip from a VHS for this because it's not the best quality. Like, there's certain, But I think some of that may have even come from the fact that it was a kind of slapshot uh, last... La, you know, last hurrah for the show. Like there are animation errors I noticed this time. There's audio. There's dips in audio quality. It it honest. It didn't hold up as well as I thought it would. The good stuff. The, there is still good stuff there. And the good stuff still holds up, but a lot of it is pretty bad. You know, there are you know, like the good stuff that's there. Like the THX parody, the uh, amusement park parody where they're making fun of Disney World. Um, you know, Babs grabbed the lightsaber. Who could think of candy at a time like this? You know, there are fun little asides here and there. Some stuff I did. There's an Esperanto joke that I missed the first time. Uh, so there's stuff that you might catch as an adult, but for a lot of a lot of it, it's just kind of lackluster filler. Like the the jokes are not as sharp as the as the main series, and it's not even a good end note the way that Wacko's Wish was. The movie Wacko's Wish for Animaniacs worked as a much better send-off to the show than How I Spent My Summer Vacation did for Tiny Toons as a send-off. It felt very... It felt kind of rushed, and it didn't feel like the best that they could do. Although Jonathan Winters and Edie McClurg... Uh, Jonathan Winters being the uh, guy I thought was the voice from The the uh, the, the Thief and the Cobbler... Uh, it was Jonathan Winters who was the voice of the thief. I was, for some reason, thinking it was Jonathan Banks. I think it's because they have a similar tonal quality, but I think don't think Jonathan Banks was the name that Jonathan Winters was at the time. But, yeah, Jonathan Winters is Hampton's dad and Edie McClure is his mom. They almost kind of feel, like, wasted. Like, they don't feel like they could... Like, there are some great bits with them, and they get some great, get some great jokes out. Jonathan Winters even has a, a, a throwaway bit as Superman. Uh, but at the same time, it's just none of it really pads out. And they try to tie everything going into one segment to the next. You know, like, um, you know, it, it, it almost feels like a, an, a, an um, what's the term for those kind of movies? Like Kentucky Fried Movie. Um, ah, what's the term I'm thinking of? Uh. Anthology. It's like an anthology movie, where but and it keeps cutting back and forth between what's happening with these folks, and and while there is a through line story going on, it's just not all that great. Like there's a whole there's something I didn't catch on the first time, but like something that was never in the show was the fact it was the, I mean the fact was it was Buster Buster and Babs Bunny, no relation, 
But the no relation was was kind of like to differentiate themselves as brother and sister. I never thought it was to try and hook them up to ship them. I may be, I may have to check out some uh, episodes of the show, but I, for the most part, I fi- I pictured ba- I always remembered Babs and Buster's relationship to be um, platonic, like they're fun, they're they're coworkers, you know. You know, they're not trying to hook up with each other, but meanwhile, like throughout this whole movie, they try to play up uh, Buster and Babs in, as a as a couple. Like they flirt with each other all the time, and like it's like they're really trying to play up the ship, as though it was almost. I get the feeling like that was studio demanded. Like now nah, we gotta we gotta you gotta make the girl bunny and the boy bunny hook up. They're not related, so it's okay. But who cares? Like they don't need to hook up. They can just have fun with each other and make fun of each, you know, and make fun. They don't need to have goo-goo eyes for each other at certain points. Like they're, it's really awkward and out of place. And yeah, it's and the jokes don't work as well in retrospect. Um, Babs' humor seems really forced. Like I get that she was the one who did a lot of the. They had Tress McNeil do a lot of um, impressions as Babs, but that wasn't Babs' whole character. And there's a whole sequence at a dinner theater uh, on the uh, steamboat where they do it and it's all Babs touring around and who's who's the caricature this time? And it's like, like yeah, it's kind of cute that you're making, it's like the old Looney Tunes where they would make references to like Humphrey Bogart or uh, James Cagney or something, you know? But it, the Looney Tunes, when they made their caricatures and made references, it was clever. It was it was making fun of, you know, it was, a, it, it was a, you know, it wasn't, a Family Guy style like reference, you know. Whereas this felt like a prototypical Family Guy episode at, at with Babs. Babs almost felt like a Family Guy writer. It's like, oh, well, hey, what if we do a celebrity impression here? And it's like Babs was more interesting than that. But I feel like they really didn't know. They really wrote her out of character for this whole sequence. And yeah, I, I don't know why. I don't know why that why they did it that way, but yeah, well, so it doesn't hold up. A lot of, but once again, there are a lot of great bits. So if you want to go check it out again, it's available on Hulu. Uh, you know, it's it just it's just once again, some things from your childhood don't hold up, and when you revisit them, you start to see the chips in the paint and the and the breaks in the armor. But you know, it happens. You know, not everything is perfect, but as long as you had fun, that's what's important. So we're going to take a quick break and I'll be coming back to discuss movie theaters and streaming and the sort of rivalry they share. Into every generation, a slayer is born. One girl in all the world, a chosen one. And alongside her are the Watchers. We are the Watchers. Once more with Feeling is a 20th anniversary Buffy fan cast where we gather and watch episodes of Buffy, discuss them, and release it every Tuesday. Grr. Arg. discussion a bit short. I, I, I went on 
a lot longer than I expected uh, during the review portion. Basically, I wanted to discuss, uh, in lieu of anything else to really talk about since I was covering more streaming uh, movies this time around, I wanted to talk about sort of the rivalry that's built up between streaming services and going to the movies. Now, I did see an interesting uh, tweet recently. I think it was Lindsay Ellis retweeted uh, somebody who basically commented that streaming Netflix likes to think of itself as usurping the movie theater, but all Netflix has done is... Here, let me pull up the actual tweet. Uh, basically, the... the, the uh, to paraphrase, the tweet was saying that Netflix is more... Um, more replaced the home video market in the sense that it takes lowest common denominator, really poorly, you know, re- you know, really low budget, not ultimately that um, interesting, you know, all, not not really compelling uh, movies that re- so it can't really compete with movie theaters. Because it's basically you served the home video market for low budget schlock, kind of. Um, let me pull up the guy's because uh, apparently he's verified, so he's somebody. Wait a second. Okay, here we go. Uh, he had a picture of Laura Dern. I thought, wait a minute, is this guy? Really? No, no, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a joke. Uh, anyway, the guy's name is Lawrence Barber. He's a writer for the Star Observer, and so he's a film critic down in Sydney. Uh, so maybe Australian listeners will recognize him, uh, Lawrence Barber. Uh, he was co- commenting, "You say Netflix is disrupting film distribution and marketing. I say Netflix is becoming a directed DVD dumping ground for tenuous theatrical propositions and spinning it as an upgrade based on unverifiable user viewership numbers, while failing to promote mid to low budget acquisitions." And Barber has a point. As much as I want to say that, oh, Netflix is, is the real competition for movie theaters and, they're, you know, th- streaming services are really, you know, uh, throwing a monkey wrench in the way things are done. Barber's more on point. Like, I would love for Netflix and Amazon and, these, and Hulu and all these other streaming services to throw a monkey wrench into things and disrupt the status quo and bring about a whole new way of bringing movies to the masses. And yet, Netflix just can't compete with movie theaters. So the rivalry is not as... The the problem is the rivalry is not on even ground. Think of it this way. I'm a local Ohioan, Northeast Ohioan, Akron native, Cleveland-like neighbor. So I gravitate towards Cleveland as the bigger metropolis. Netflix is essentially the Browns. They keep goofing up, putting their foot in their mouths, you know, getting in their own way, screwing themselves over time and again. And movie theaters are the Patriots. They're the Patriots. Or think of it this way. Um, I'm trying to think it was a really bad baseball team versus the Yankees. Um, but yeah, the Browns versus the Patriots. Or the Browns versus... Well, Steelers. 
People people in Cleveland really like to think of themselves as, oh, the Steelers. But that rivalry has been dead since the original Browns moved to Baltimore. Um, that old Browns had a, had a real, you know, neck-and-neck neck battle with the Steelers where it meant something. Here, the Steelers can trounce us any day of the week. We had a perfect season of losses in Cleveland the Steelers don't pay us any mind. The fact that, oh, we're still pissed at you. We're our, you're our rival. Um, is more like Ash to Gary in like the very early days of Pokemon. Where the rivalry is very one-sided. And Gary couldn't give a damn about Ash's, even, Ash's own existence. Like, that, it's that kind of rivalry. Or like Ash with... Um, Paul very very early on in Diamond and Pearl, where like Ash didn't might as well not have even existed to the rival. They did not, you know, Ash wasn't even a blip on the radar anymore. So that's Netflix's relation to the movie theater industry. There's a reason Netflix has to release Mudbound in theaters in Los Angeles and New York in order to qualify for awards. Because that's how powerful the theater lobby is. The movie theater lobby has such a powerful seat in the entertainment industry that streaming services like Netflix, like Amazon, like Hulu, they are sitting at the kids' table for right now. And until Netflix and Amazon and all of them get their act together and can genuinely compete with movie theaters that's when you'll start to see a change. Much like uh, Barber said, uh, they're unverifiable viewership numbers. I'm sure Netflix could easily track how many views their thing... If YouTube can track how many views their videos get, how can Netflix not? Why is it Netflix? Like, Netflix will try to parade around numbers for uh, Bright and for House of Cards and for big big shows and big things that they have, but nobody can verify their numbers because they won't. I was just talking about this with uh, Mike. Uh, we recorded uh, Maji Day for Netflix's Erased. Netflix will not share production information, viewership uh, ratings and statistics, anything, rate, ratings in general. I had to dig through my old Netflix numbers in order to find rating how I rated something. I can't even figure out how a movie is rated based on the user reviews. Like you could tell with the stars whether or not uh, a movie was rated highly or not in the old days. Since moving to the thumbs up, thumbs down system, you, genu you genuinely can't tell. Sorry, that was a Mountain Dew ice burp. Uh, I'm not even going to cut that out. I don't care. <laughs> I'm a professional. Uh, since the thumbs up, thumbs down uh, rating system, Netflix, you can't even tell how good of a movie is anymore. There's no way for you to tell whether or not a movie is good or not, just whether or not you would like it. And even then, the numbers are skewed based on how Netflix wants to market one of their programs to you. We, Netflix is a poorly, poorly run site. I mean, for one thing, they're, they're, they're millions in debt. If they're not, they're, I don't even know how, um, 
how much you know like what how much debt does Netflix have at the moment? I know it's over it's in the millions, but until 20 oh my god. Reported that Netflix was more than 20 billion in accumulative debt. And which is a 15 billion in streaming content obligations and 4.8 billion in total gross debt. So not only have they run themselves into debt, they and they're running essentially at a loss, the same way YouTube is, but they can't even run their site in a way that they can market their site to other people. You can't guarantee views the same way you can on YouTube. Or even Daily Motion. Daily Motion and Vimeo have better viewership rating systems than Netflix. I don't even know if Hulu or Amazon can tell you how much their their things get viewed. Amazon maybe. I don't but Netflix refuses to share that kind of information. It refused, I don't even know if they can keep track of that kind of information because everything is so under the table. It's no wonder Netflix is struggling because even though they're the biggest name in streaming, they're run so piss poor that they can't compete with the theaters. So as much as I want to say Netflix is going to overtake movie theaters, that was the old worry. That was the old worry. Back in the day, Netflix could easily overtake Blockbuster, Hollywood Video, rental services. There's a reason the only other rental services out there anymore that aren't online are Redbox and Family Video. Blockbuster in Alaska, I will say that Blockbuster franchises are still active in Alaska because the internet is not up up to streaming quality in there, up uh, in that state. So niche markets still rely on vi- on disc rentals and even now you can't guarantee if you can't guarantee viewership how are you supposed to compete with the regular distribution models theaters have a very built-in way to guarantee viewers one tick aside from people theater hopping one ticket one button to seat Determines how many ticket determine how many tickets are sold, is how many butts are in the seats, and how many eyeballs are on your screen. You can you can't guarantee for people hopping theaters, although if a, if an usher wants to be like, well, somebody hopped the theater and that's so that's this person, but they they can't guarantee money for that. That's a loss for them, or at least the studio because the theaters don't get anything from ticket sales, but. One ticket sale equals a number on the on the graph for how many people saw that movie. Until folks like Netflix, Hulu, and Amazon can guarantee how many people are... And it shouldn't be that hard. If YouTube can do it, why can't these guys? What is with their interfaces where they can't guarantee how many people are watching their thing? Nielsen is trying to get an idea of how many people have are seeing these shows, but there should be a built-in way. And if Netflix is not sharing how many people are watching their things and they're hiding it, 
that probably means the numbers aren't as high as they want them to appear. That's usually what, if a, if a company is being shady and under the table with their numbers, it usually means they, that things are bad. So if Netflix can't guarantee the numbers on certain things, then there's, then why should anybody take them seriously? And it's once again, a problem with the way Netflix is run. So as much as I wanted this to be about how Netflix and streaming services could overtake the movie theater industry, the way it's done now, there is no way in hell. They have to get their numbers to a point to compete with the movie theater going public. And, and unfortunately for them, it's still a better option. As much as the theaters dominate the market share, if Amazon and Netflix got the numbers that movie theaters could get, then they could easily start to break away at the monopoly that movie theaters have with the studio system. But they can't because they can't guarantee the viewership. Even YouTube runs at a loss because there's no way to really get the viewership they're hoping for. The th Aaron was uh, Aaron uh, Hansen was just talking about this on a recent episode of Grumps, uh, one of the Mario Odysseys. The idea is Logan Paul, PewDiePie, the big celebrities aren't what make YouTube money. They're the biggest names. They bring in a lot of. They have the most recurring audience. But what makes YouTube any money is the is the fluke viral hits. Fluke viral videos spike up the numbers. And drive up, and that's what brings in the ad revenue for YouTube because they don't have to pay those fluke viral marketers the way that they would have to pay PewDiePie or Logan Paul. And YouTube is running at a loss anyway, and it's only still functioning because Google allows it to function. If Google decided any other business, literally any other business, was running at a loss the way YouTube and Netflix do, they would be gone. They would be cut so hard. And that's why I'm waiting for like Disney to buy out Netflix's debt and take over them. Why start your own streaming service? I've argued this so many times. As soon as Disney said they want to start their own streaming service, I was like, you own most of your stake in Hulu. You could easily buy out Netflix. The infrastructure is already there. I almost think I did this on the podcast already. But seriously, why would you do that? What is wrong with you? There is the infrastructure for Netflix. You could easily buy out their debt and buy out the company. Why not do that? Why not buy off their debt, get rid, yo, start cutting costs and run Netflix better. Run Netflix in a way that it can compete with theaters. I mean, that's unfortunately that's where you get into the problems that ran before the uh, Supreme Court case in the 40s. I commented on this during the Oscar bait uh, discussion. The, U the United States versus Paramount Pictures. You see, back in the 30s and 40s, back in the 20s and 30s, in the early days of cinema, the studios owned the, op owned the means of distribution. The studios would distribute to their own personally, uh, company-owned theaters. So Paramount would only par distribute to Paramount-owned theaters. MGM would only distribute to MGM-owned theaters. RKO would only distribute to RKO-owned theaters. They took it to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court said, 
movie studios cannot have that kind of monopoly. That is the only problem I can see arising from Disney buying out Netflix, is having a built-in means of distribution monopolizing the marketplace. I mean, Disney, I, if, I mean, if there weren't precedents already set in Disney's favor, I'm assuming people would take them to court over monopolizing the market share uh, like they are now. But who knows? Maybe court cases will bring that out and that Disney has to start relocating, its, reallocating its assets and selling things off and letting things go. But, I, I mean, why not? Why not try? At least try. I, I get the feeling Disney could probably run Netflix better than Netflix is running Netflix. Because the only thing Disney would have to do is to not... Uh, is to, I mean, Disney already licenses to Netflix, so it wouldn't be that big of a change. In fact, you could probably have a bigger Netflix library for the Disney stuff. The kids section would be all Disney. The only problem is Disney can't monopolize the Netflix library. It has to allow... For, for Paramount Pictures, for Universal Pictures, for Lionsgate Pictures. It can't monopolize the, sh the marketplace for that. But at the same time, Amazon is kind of corporate-owned. So, why? I mean, as much as the corporate... Co I don't want the further monopolization of, corporate co of corporations taking up the means of distribution. At the same time, when something works, something works. And Disney, with, Mar with in the case of Marvel and Star Wars, they have a tendency to allow for things to thrive and prosper in the terms of, in terms of uh, you know intellectual property. And I mean, it's not the best case scenario. I mean, it's still a corporate-owned thing. Corporations are not your friend, obviously. But at the same time, I get the feeling that the people over at Disney would have a better means of controlling Netflix than Netflix has of controlling itself. It wouldn't, it would limit, they could probably limit the amount of things they can produce, limit the amount of things they can pick up. They wouldn't buy, they wouldn't literally buy everything that you submit to them. I mean, the if some, if maybe not even Disney, just somebody who knows what they're doing at the helm and being public about their numbers, being public about their viewership, their subscribers, how many things, how, what are things, what things are most watched. If they could publish that on a weekly basis, the same way that theaters can publish the box office rankings, then they would be, things would be fine. In fact, they could probably be more accurate than the Nielsen ratings are for TV because the Nielsen ratings are are janked. YouTube has a better ranking system, has a better viewership rating system than the Nielsen's. If Netflix could do what YouTube does. Nielsen's would be screwed because then you could just count the things on Netflix or Hulu. Nielsen's wouldn't have anything to do. They could move from from broadcast TV to internet TV. These people have no idea what they're doing. And it's no wonder my initial... Because that's the thing. The one thing the streaming services had going for them was that you could watch a movie in the, in the comfortability of your own home. You wouldn't have to go out to the theater. You wouldn't have to deal with assholes. You wouldn't have to deal with kids screaming. You wouldn't. The only thing you could go see a movie in theaters for was for a big budget blockbuster to see with an audience, or maybe some schlocky horror movie to see with an audience and laugh at, to get something akin to the room. You know, it's things like that, things that are worth seeing with an audience. But for a lot of movies, an audience almost detracts 
from the movie if it's a bad audience. So as a reason, movie theaters have been dealing with the decline in, in audiences for a while. I mean, as much as there are big tentpole releases, that doesn't mean the overall theater-going public is still going, you know? Because for one thing, people can't afford to go to movie theaters anymore. It's too expensive. So if they have a means... So if if nothing else, maybe cut down, cut the hat, cut, go back to the way it was where like you split the ticket sales down the middle. Studio gets one, theater gets the other half. The, studio gets one half, theater gets the other half, and then concession prices could drop, and then people would be willing to go back to theaters again. It wouldn't be so expensive to just go out to the theaters anymore. But then, but then once again, we're dealing with people whose bottom lines are the bottom line. And if they're not in the and they cut and if they cut back on ticket prices, where the ticket money distribution goes and the concession prices, they wouldn't be making money now, would they? Late stage capitalism at its finest, you know. Pretend I'm drinking vodka made from potatoes I dug in my field. I am co I am dirty communist. Sorry, I have no idea where that came from. It's 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 almost twelve thirty as of recording this, so uh, I'm kind of loopy. <laughs> uh, so, I, so yeah, that kind of ends my discussion for the most part. They they really, I think um, Barber really hit it home for me, where my idea was kind of misguided. The old idea of the streaming service overtaking the current distribution model, it would mean something if they're if what they were picking up was of any value. There's good stuff on Amazon. There's good stuff on Netflix. They're not picking up the kind of stuff that would really compete with the theaters, and they're not showing the numbers that shows they can compete with the theaters. When that happens, that's when you'll see the real revolution. That's when the real changes are going to happen. Until then, just do whatever, man. I don't, I don't know. Uh, so let's end this on an extended trailer talk segment. Uh, we'll talk first. I'll talk about since the uh, big game happened, the Super Bowl happened. Uh, we had the movie trailers that premiered during the Super Bowl. So for this trailer talk segment, uh, we're gonna go through the Super Bowl trailers first. So first off, uh, the unofficial <laughs> uh, Black Widow movie, uh, Jennifer Lawrence's Red Sparrow. Let's check it out. I saw something I was not supposed to. They gave me a choice. Die or become a sparrow. In Moscow, there's a... Based on the worldwide bestseller. Sparrows trained to seduce and manipulate. That is what she is. She's out of your league. You have forgiven. You see through people. Take your life back. I'll find a way. You're always one step ahead. You're right. Red Sparrow. Eh, I don't know. It, it, it felt very much... Um, I mean, this this is essentially a truncated version of the same trailer that premiered a couple uh, couple weeks ago. Uh, the, the second trailer, the more extensive trailer. And so, yeah, I mean, it's, it, it's not... All that uh, for a trailer for a TV. I mean, it works for a TV spot. It's essentially a shorter version of the second trailer, 
But, uh, yeah, aside from that, it's just kind of, eh, it, it, I can't really speak to whether or not the movie's going to be good, any good. I still don't know if the book was any good, but we'll have to wait and see. Uh, next up, the official second, tra the official second trailer for Jurassic World Fa Fallen Kingdom. Okay. Wow, that's bad CGI. Damn. You couldn't shell out for a single animatronic? We don't really believe it. It's like a miracle. Something's coming. It's a T-Rex. It's a T-Rex. It's not a T-Rex. Blue, come with me. You know you can't stay here. Jurassic World. The island. You're all right. Easy, girl. All of that is in the past. Am I dead? Not yet, kid. I want to show you the future. What is that thing? They made it. So, well then, um, it's not just the uh, dinosaurs on the volcano island. It is, in fact, continuing the subplot from the, from the first uh, Jurassic World movie, being, uh, which is the whole thing with uh, Vincent D'Onofrio, who doesn't appear in this trailer. The idea being dinosaurs as genetic weapons of the U.S. military. Not sure we need to continue that storyline, but whatever. Uh, not really. I never, I had issues. I had a lot of issues with Jurassic World. The dinosaur stuff I mostly liked. It's the people stuff that I hated, especially the stuff with Chris Pratt and Bryce Dallas Howard, which seemed to continue based on the first trail in this movie. I hope that's not the case, and I hope they're better written, because though, though that dialogue and their characterizations were some of the dumbest and the worst I've seen in a blockbuster movie. And I, I love Jurassic Park. I love the dinosaurs. And it just try harder, damn it! Come on. Uh, let me let me fix this. Uh, the uh, solo trailer. Um, the solo trailer dropped today, I think, or mo mo Monday, as of recording. Uh, and the TV Super Bowl TV spot was just a teaser for the solo trailer. So, let's take a look at that. Ooh, nice guitar. on the streets since I was 10. 
kicked out of the flight academy for having a mind of my own. That's weird to think Han Solo. I'm gonna be a pilot. One of the was was uh, tried to be a pilot for the Empire. Hey kid, I'm putting together a crew. You in? That's yes. Ooh, this summer, Cantina. Okay, um, couple things. One, for the love of God, we don't need the Kessel Run. Don't make any references to the Kessel Run. Let that be. The worst thing you can do in this movie is try to depict what we just saw as part of the Kessel Run. Don't, make, don't depict the Kessel Run. All you'll do is disappoint everybody. Second... Really like uh, uh, Donald Glover as young Lando. That's more we've we've needed more Lando. This new series has been lacking in Lando, so it's good to see him. Uh, good to see him in this movie. I, I'm glad to. I hope he plays a pretty be, a decent part. Um, and then the last thing is uh, Iron Aaron Reich. Iron Reich. What's the guy's name? Uh, let me pull up the. Amelia Clark, Alden, uh, Alden Ehrenreich, uh, who was just in, who was, I mainly know from, uh, he was in Hail Caesar, uh, he was also in Beautiful Creatures, and Rules Don't Apply, that really bad Howard Hughes movie that Warren Beatty did, but he's also in Blue Jasmine, so he's been all over, he's been in various places, he was in something called Stoker, which I don't remember, Stoker. After India's father died, her uncle Charlie, whom she never knew existed, comes to live. Hmm. Okay, some kind of thriller with uh, Nicole Kidman and Mia Wasikowska. And then he was in that. So, he, I honestly, personally, I would have gone with uh, Ansel Elgort. I think Ansel Elgort would have been a way more charismatic young Han Solo. But we'll have to wait and see. Maybe the kid, maybe uh, Aaron Reich will uh, prove me wrong. So, well, we'll check that out. Well, that comes out Memorial Day. We'll see how they do. Next up, Skyscraper, starring Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Why do they just call it the Towering Inferno? Like, what's the deal? Uh, okay, some military thing. He's an amputee. Aw, it's um Amanda Peet. Okay? I think it's Amanda Peet. A little nervous. Well, you look very handsome. I just don't want to screw it up, you know. You have been preparing for this meeting for six months. You've got this. Let me ask you guys a question. 
Daddy loves who? Me. Daddy loves who? Me. Me. Who's that? Daddy's gonna go make that bacon. Nev Campbell. That's who that is. And Pablo Schreiber, who was just in um, Den of Thieves. Enjoying this stay very much so. They're shocked you gave us the entire floor. After your security assessment, what do you think? Seriously, dude? With all due respect, he is a glorified security guard. Please. The Pearl is the tallest, most advanced building in the world. You've built a vertical city, but you've brought with it every single safety and security challenge that I could think of. We thought this floor was empty. So did I. Not only have you brought them all indoors, but you've trapped them 240 floors in the air. No one really knows what would happen if things go wrong. But I'm just a glorified security guard, so the hell do I know anyway? What's going on? The 96 floor is on fire. Okay, so it's like some kind of heist movie? No, 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 no! Tell me, how much do you love your family? If we're gonna get out of here, you're gonna have to tell me the truth. There's a reason they chose this building. What the? My family is the only thing that matters to me right now. Courage. Okay, so they're shooting at him. On the scaffolding? I am so confused by this. I don't understand this movie at all. So it's not a full-on ripoff of The Towering Inferno fully. But it's... The idea is um, there's a super tall skyscraper, a veritable vertical city, and something, and some criminal organization sets fire to it, or I don't know. Um, this is the director of Dodgeball and We're the Millers, and something called The Mysteries of Pittsburgh. So this is, and Central Intelligence. So this is a comedy? This guy's slated to do the Cannonball Run remake. This is a comedic director. Why is he why is he doing like some straightforward action thriller? Like what the like that uh, that this does not bode well, you guys. So skyscraper, something coming up. Apparently that premiered during the Super Bowl and oof, it does not look good. It it really does look like a schlocky. I mean, who knows? It may be fun bad, but it don't look good. It definitely don't look good. It looks like every cheesy action movie that Dwayne The Rock Johnson has become known for by this point. So, uh, moving moving right along, uh, we continue the Super Bowl coverage to the official trailer for Mission Impossible Six: Fallout. Who is that? Did you ever choose not to? Oof. 
Blood on barbed wire. And the blood will be on your hands. Who's that guy? Is that Charlotte Copley? Of all your good intentions. You had a terrible choice to make in Berlin. One life over millions. And now the world is at risk. Oh, hey, Alec Baldwin's back. This is the CIA's mission. Is that Viola Davis and Henry? Okay, yeah, Henry Cavill. wouldn't be having this conversation. His team would be dead. Yes, they would. That's the job. Or say Angela Bassett. Ooh, great trailer song. You don't understand what you're involved in. You need to walk away. Please don't make me go through you. How many times has Hunt's government betrayed him, disavowed him, cast him aside? How long before a man like that has had enough? That's some pretty decent fight choreography. So, how is he? Oh, you know, same old Ethan. I almost wonder if Tom Cruise is gonna be doing this until like his seventies. What the hell is he doing? I find it best not to look. Mission Impossible, Fallout, New Vegas. Um, yeah, I I'm excited. This isn't this isn't a that's a nice way to grab me, especially um, oh, what was Mission Impossible Five? Uh, Ghost Protocol was four. When was five? Uh, let's see, Mission Impossible. Rogue Nation. Um, yeah, Rogue Nation was pretty forgettable. Not not a great fall, especially Ghost Ghost Protocol was a great comeback. It see it it was a great way to re kind of rebrand the series and take it in a new direction. Rogue Nation felt very much by the numbers, and so Fallout seems to want to go for more of that Rogue Nation style. Uh, Rebecca Ferguson is back. Uh, Henry Cavill. Michelle Monaghan, uh, Angela Bassett, that's who that was. I knew I recognized her. Um, and then it looked like Alec Baldwin is back as his character. So uh, I, I'm, ex I, I'm excited. I have a good feeling about this. Uh, this comes out in July. It, it, I think it's a, good, uh, it's, a nice, it's a nice summer for a good Mission Impossible movie. So uh, we'll check that out when we get to it. Next up. A recent premiere on Netflix, which I'll have to check out. Uh, the Cloverfield Paradox. Possible earthquake near the Statue of Liberty. Looks like you should have left town a little bit earlier. Ten years ago, something arrived. Now. Find out why. Whatever you're doing. Stop. 
Only on Netflix. Eh. I mean... I don't know, man. Like, I thought 10 Cloverfield Lane was a cool movie that ultimately didn't have really anything to do with, um, with the original Cloverfield. It was just a nice, like, tie-in side story. But it's, but this, I'm not quite sure. I'll, 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 I'll definitely check it out, uh, when I have the time, uh, and uh, we'll see about how good it is. But really, it's just kind of... It, it, it doesn't entice me. Like, it's been so long since the original Cloverfield that I'm not all that intrigued by the idea of... Um, by the idea of them revealing where the monster came from. It's been too long for that at this point, man. Um... Next up, what I'm interested in, uh, coming in April, A Quiet Place. Okay, so it's more information about what happened. If they hear you, they hunt you. It's good that they don't, they still don't reveal, um, what the, uh, monster is just yet. I, I hope they kind of keep that for the final movie, but that's, a, they, they kind of go more into the backstory. Basically the idea is this is, this is a post-apocalyptic, uh, horror movie where something, something bad happened, uh, and we're dealing with some of the last survivors, J uh, John Krasinski and Emily Blunt mainly, and their kids. And we'll, and so, uh, we'll see how it turns out. We'll see what, what all the fuss is about, what, what the deal is. Uh, that's coming out in April. One of my favorite, one of my ones I'm really looking forward to. And finally, Infinity War. So this is it. This summer, an entire universe, Ready? Let's go. once and for all, not too much new, um, nothing more than what they revealed in the, uh, original trailer, but I'm still excited, you know? I, I think at this point, they didn't need to worry about, uh, I'm looking at, uh, they, they're showing a blooper and gag reel behind the scenes of Thor Ragnarok and damn Kate Blanchett's costume is look, looks goofy as hell, which is why I'm not too worried about, um, they're also showing, uh, uh, Captain Marvel's costume with Alison Brie in it, and yeah, what you see on set is not always what you see in the film. So, uh, uh, Infinity War, who isn't excited? You know, I'm surprised they didn't do a Black Panther spot. Maybe they did. Uh, but this is just what Vox showed me, um, uh, with, uh, after, after the fact from the Super Bowl. So, who knows? Maybe they weren't worried about, since uh, Black Panther's been selling out opening night sales, maybe they weren't worried about, uh, advertising for it. But, uh, oh well. 
So those were the Super Bowl ads. They were they were pretty solid for the most part. Uh, for the trailers, you know, uh, I got to see. You know, I got, I'm I'm excited for uh, for the Quiet Play for a, a, a Quiet Place and Mission Impossible Fallout. I got to see. I got to see. I got a reason to be look forward to Solo more than I was. Um, I'm still trepidatious on Jurassic World and Skyscraper and Red Sparrow. These these uh, spots didn't really do anything to to um, placate that, to alleviate that. Not really sure about Cloverfield Paradox either. So we'll have to wait and see. But overall, not a night, not a bad uh, year for Super Bowl trailers. And uh, lastly, let's look into what's coming out next weekend. So I've got three new releases this this coming weekend. First up, Fifty Shades Freed then Peter Rabbit, and then Clint Eastwood's um, uh, retelling of the of, uh, of those uh, American soldiers who uh, prevented a terrorist attack on a German uh, train going for Paris. So first up, let's take a look at uh, Fifty Shades Freed. So glad this is almost over. Good morning, wife. Good morning, husband. Who, like that is that's not sexy. I'm taking you away for the weekend. I just can't believe this is my life that I get to live with you. Yeah, it's a whole lot of wealth porn going on. This Valentine's Day. We wanted to welcome the new fiction editor. I bought it for us. I should have asked you first. I love it. Oh my god. Christian. This is Gio Matteo, the architect. This location is perfect. I'm going to build you a fabulous house. Please stop speaking to my husband as if I weren't here. In. You may call me Mrs. Gray. I'll pick you up a five. I might not be done by then. What? I... We're being followed. How the hell are you, Anna? Jack, what do you want? He, he wants meth according to this trailer and how he looks. I made a vow to love you faithfully. Forsaking all others. Did you sleep with her? To comfort you in times of need. And to keep you safe. For as long as we both shall live. Don't miss the my uh, sister um uh who uh helped kind of helped out with like uh cleaning and whatnot uh uh around the house you know every so often it, it's a it's a way for to get her out of, get her out of her house and uh you know keep in touch with the family and whatnot and 
um, she and I were talking about how, like, she saw the movie and she she acknowledges it's trash, but like the second time, she saw the second one, and like she saw it with some of her uh, girlfriends, and like it was this weird like bachelorette party vibe, and she was so thrown off by it because these movies aren't like like none nobody that I really know of thinks of these movies as sexy, like. If you genuinely are aroused by what happens in these movies, I ain't gonna yuck your yum, but like, really? Like every, like I, it's almost at this point, almost you're in the minority if you're aroused by this movie. More often than not, everybody I know, both personally and professionally, thinks of this as just garbage. How could anybody be interested in that? Like, my mom thinks it's a garbage because it's, you know, it's not all that titillating as it wants to be. And I find it garbage because it's not very well done. So, I mean, like, who's into this? If you're into this, let me know and tell me why, because I don't get it. Uh, so, Battles Fifty Shades Freed. Next up... Ooh, I don't know which I'm looking forward to least. Fifty Shades Freed or Peter Rabbit? Uh, a, a movie review on Peter Rabbit. Peter Rabbit. Sony. What? Peter had the perfect life. Until a new neighbor changed everything. Oh, Domino Gleason. What fresh hell have you been, have you become a part of? I just need to keep the wildlife out where they belong. You're joking, right? Yes. <laughs> They're angels. This is their place. Okay, so he's what? I one way out of this. I don't go. get it. Did you know they set bear bear traps? He wouldn't hurt anyone. His face was so classic. He was like. <laughs> This February, watch Sony rip off a gag from the freaking Simpsons. Look away. Also, a naked hedgehog jokes. Runs wild. What? What? I got us into this. What is fight scenes? Electrocution? Rabbit. 
Like, he would have died. This, what is this Home Alone garbage? What is this? What is this movie? James Corden. Oh, oh, great. Oh, great. Uh, Rose Byrne is Beatrix Potter, apparently. Oh, no. What is this? Who's Will Gluck? He's apparently to blame for this monstrosity. Producer, producer, producer. He's a producer mainly. Director. Peter Rabbit. The Annie remake. Friends with Benefits and Easy A. That's another person who was involved in Easy A who's making a really terrible looking movie. First, the guy who made um, Skyscraper was an actor in Easy A. And this guy, Will Gluck, who apparently hasn't made a good movie since Easy A is dishing out kids movies from the from that was should have been made 30 years ago what the hell what is this what fresh hell is this sony why you do this to me and lastly let's take a look at clint eastwood's latest the 1517 to paris Heck is one of those things that I don't see. It feels weird seeing an adult say it. Shut the heck up. Really? Just shut up? Wasn't it, like, seriously? Who says heck? Who outside of like a Mormon family says heck? I don't even think Mormons say heck. Once you begin to discover who you are, then you really realize how you have been given authority over your life. But you can only do that through the struggle of life. And most people avoid the struggle. Most people go through life avoiding pain. Hmm. Yeah, I'm, it's good that he goes into the... I mean, like, what else are you going to do? At some point in time, a transition takes place. These guys, I mean, of course you're going to go into the back... Apparently these guys knew each other from, since childhood? Maybe? I'm curious to see how accurate this is. Ordinary people can do the extraordinary. I don't know, man. You ever just feel like life is just pushing us towards something? Like some greater purpose? I, I mean, it's good that Clint Eastwood used the actual guys. At the same time, they, I do worry that they are going to be kind of wooden. I'll, it'll be interesting to see. Uh, yeah, for those who don't know, um, this trailer, th this movie, um, is, ba of course, based on the uh, attempted hijacking and uh, ter attempted terrorist attack. Uh, what, what would be the... Uh, what was the actual terminology? Um, based on the autobiography, 5017 to Paris, uh, 2015, 
Thallus train attack. Um, a, man on, a man on a Thallus train on its way from Amsterdam to Paris. So they were in the Netherlands. No, Amsterdam is Denmark? Netherlands, I was right. I think Copenhagen is Denmark. Uh, Amsterdam to Paris. Opened fire in a train carriage, and um, he was stopped by uh, uh, by a couple of the. Uh, there were a couple of soldiers on the um, on the train who who helped bring him down. Uh, U.S. Air Force, Oregon Army National Guard. Um, but the movie centers on, uh, Spencer Stone, Anthony Sadler, and Alex Garlatos, um, who are, uh, uh, Spencer Stone being the U.S. Air Force, uh, airman, uh, Scarlatos being the member of the Oregon National Guard, uh, who was deployed in Afghanistan. A bunch of the, apparently these guys met in Afghanistan. I don't know if they all grew up together. It looked like they did, but I don't know. Former high school. Okay, yeah, they're all high. They're all classmates of Stone and Scarlatos. So um, uh, Sadler was a university student, while Scarlatos and Stone went into the military, and they, alongside a British businessman, Chris Norman, and a and an older, mostly older. So there's a 51 year old French. Uh, Frenchman, a 62-year-old British businessman, and a 28-year-old Frenchman who all helped, uh, I think it was Stone who led uh, the initial, um, help, helped to initially bring down the assailant. Uh, so we, uh, okay, so yeah, Stone... Uh, Sadler and Scarlatos, uh, helped to bring that, helped, helped, helped lead the assault on the assailant. And, um, uh, the other, uh, Mulligan, Norman, and Damien, uh, the other, the other two Frenchmen and the British, uh, citizen, uh, all helped to sub, to help, all helped in some way to subdue the gunman to prevent a for any further uh, casualties. I don't even think there were casualties. No deaths, four non-fatal injuries, three three directly, including the perpetrator. So, if not for as well, it focuses on the three uh, three Americans. I do hope. Um, I do hope the uh, the the other three guys involved get their um get their you know get showcase there how they help bring the guy down because i mean it's not um, well the not to say that these three guys don't deserve the acknowledgement i hope it doesn't turn into you know these guys were the only ones who brought down the gunman i hope it you know it showcases what happened especially since it's not based on a true story this is clint eastwood saying this is the definitive true story so I'm I'm curious to see how accurate it actually is. That's definitely going to be the best thing to come out this next week, and I'll tell you what. Tell you what. So uh, that about does it for me. 
which means it is time for the plugs. If you are listening to this podcast, you are most likely listening to us on our homepage at GumbyCatNetworks.com. And if you want to keep up to date on all the episodes as they come out, follow us there at G-U-M-B-I-E-C-A-T-Networks.com. And while you're there, check out our other fine programming. I mentioned Majide. I just recorded the one of the one of the upcoming episodes with Mike for that. Uh, Tragic Missile is um, it, you know is steadily coming out, and we're on there. Just and uh, we're just about to finish this main arc. Uh, we've got a couple episodes. There should be about three or four episodes from finishing the haven't heard this one before arc, which is you know based somewhat on the Final Fantasy idea of four magic elements to that that uh, that uh, are based on the uh, four magic treasures based on the four elements. Um, so yeah, we're, we should be reaching the end of that pretty soon within the next within the next month or so, and uh, also check out you know all of our stuff. Uh, our our founder and president uh, Vanessa Van Alstein has been putting out uh, the the uh, Las Vegas Oddities podcast where she work, which is talking about all the stuff that goes on where she works. Uh, I, I always recommend the uh, Ultimate Showdown podcast. I love what those guys do, uh, which is the you know fight who would win in the fight tournament style uh, uh, podcast. I you know I just love the premise and I love how they handle it. Um, what all the stuff uh, Donna does over at Snarcast, uh, the Buffy Buff, uh, once more with feeling her Buffy uh, podcast. Uh, Beyond the Cabin in the Woods, her horror podcast, and of course, the uh, she's a, she started doing a supernatural podcast. If you haven't checked that out, uh, uh, I think it's the Family Business. It's the name of it. Uh, whatever you know, whatever it is you're into, be sure to check it out over at GumbyCatNetworks.com. And of course, you can always check us out on your various podcasting platforms: iTunes, Google Play. Uh, and be sure to rate it, subscribe to us there, and rate us uh, five stars, and let people know that hey, you like this thing. Uh, if you want to share us on social media, you can check us out. Our social media home page for the Popcorn Junkie is at facebook.com/popcornjunkie. That's where all the major announcements are, all the big episode announcements and whatnot. And pretty soon, we're going to be making the announcement of switching over the Libsyn because we're about to hit our hundredth episode, folks. In fact, next week is going to be the 100th episode. So I've got something big planned for that. And and um, what a week to review it. Fifty Shades of Grey, Fifty Shades Freed, and Peter Rabbit are my reviews for the, my 100th episode. Great. I couldn't have said... I couldn't have... Maybe I'll take a week off and review Black Panther instead. Uh, anyway, um... Yeah, uh, any kind of big announcements, all of that is done through facebook.com slash popcornjunkie, and you can follow us there and share share us with your friends there. And uh, if you want a more direct uh, interaction with me, I'm over at Twitter at cornjunkiepod. Uh, yesterday, uh, or on Sunday, I did a munch along for Mudbound and a few dial and stupid gesture. And if you want to keep in touch with me there, I'm active there. And uh, you can join me with, for the munch-alongs that I do, which is when I'm commenting on a movie as I am watching it, or the trailer talk segments, where I talk about a trailer that I see before a new release. And so if you want to join me over on Twitter, it's at CornJunkiePod. And uh, if you want to follow me on Instagram, where a lot of the Facebook feed comes from nowadays, uh, you can follow, it's mainly just 
tickets to what well, tickets to the new movie I'm seeing and major announcements. I want to I want to try and figure out a way to um, a way to use do more with the Twitter with the Instagram account. I'll have to figure out something 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 or another. But uh, you can follow me over there at Popcorn Junkie Podcast on Instagram. And uh, if you want to join me over on Stardust. Uh, I'm over on Stardust, and I've been invited to be one of their premium members. I just need to get uh, some new members in, so if you want to join me over there, watch my reactions, watch some other reviewers' reactions. Uh, You've got reviewers like Jeremy Johns, The Schmoes, uh, Doug Walker, The Nostalgia Critic, all kinds of guys. Uh, John Bailey, No Relation, the epic voice guy, uh, who does the epic voiceover for Honest Trailers. He does his reactions to stuff there. Uh, he's been doing. He did a couple of uh, uh, Chris. He apparently has a uh, almost pitch perfect Chris Hemsworth uh, voice uh, impression. So uh, if you want to check all of that out, uh, download the Stardust app and follow me at Popcorn Junkie and follow all of the other fine people over on Stardust. And if you want to see me game on Saturdays, uh, you can watch me over on Twitch.tv slash Popcorn Junkie PWH. There I do. Video gameplay of a of either a ma- regular game that I've been interested in playing. So uh, I did Cuphead and Doki Doki Literature Club. Uh, some there it's usually I want to keep it somewhat movie related to keep it in t- in tune with the podcast. So do- so Doki Doki Literature Club is where I do a William Shatner and Gollum and Swedish Chef impression for some of the voices as well as. Uh, I did Justin McElroy's uh, Amelie for uh, one of the characters. So you can join me over there. I am hoping to get some of the footage edited down and uploaded to Twitch so that people can watch it regularly. Uh, I'm debating whether or not to edit down, keep it as one stream or edit it down in the chunks, which would be better. Uh, if you have any, if you have uh, any feedback on that, be sure to let me know uh, what you prefer. Uh, I also do Pokemon playthroughs where I'm at next, next, uh, stream is going to be mostly grinding as I have to get my, uh, team up to level 50 in order to face the elite four. So it's going to be a whole lot of grinding, not a lot going on, but if you want to join me anyway, we'll talk stuff. Uh, and then, uh, I do a Nuzlocke after the, after the main Pokemon playthrough where I'm doing crystal randomized. And so I've got my starter, Machop Man Randy Savage and a whole team of just random ass Pokemon that I discovered uh, through the Johto region. So we've got a Spearow, a Squirtle that we caught in Union Cave. Um, I'm trying to think what my team is. We got Machop Man Randy Savage. Uh, we got a Togepi, which we caught on Route 31. We've got a. We've got the Egg. We've got a Spearow. We've got a bee drill, which I don't think we're supposed to catch in that early in the game. I think it's supposed to be Spinarax and Ladybuzz. But we got a we got a bee drill, and we've got our buddy Squirtle. We caught us we caught ourselves a Squirtle, and we faced off against Faulkner with his Hoot Hoot and Eevee. Like I said, folks, randomizers. So if you want to join me for the randomness randomness uh, of Crystal Randomized on uh, in the Trials of the Pokemaniac. Join me over on twitch.tv slash popcornjunkiepwh. Twitch.tv slash popcornjunkiepwh. There, I did it that time. Uh, 
Join me there on Saturday afternoons, uh, 12 Eastern to 6 Eastern, whatever that, I think that's uh, 6 p.m. Uh, Greenwich Mean Time and um, 8, no, it's four hours back. So, yeah, 8. I think it's 8 a.m. Pacific. Uh, no, it's uh, 9 a.m. Pacific. So 9 a.m. Pacific, uh, 12 Eastern, and 6 Greenwich Mean Time. So if you want to join me on Saturdays, Come 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 and join my uh, my goofiness and silliness as I play video games. And if there's anything else you want to say to the podcast, any kind of feedback you want to give, any kind of corrections you want me to make, any kind of uh, questions or uh, comments you want to say about the movies I've reviewed or the discussions I had, be sure to send all of that to popcornjunkiepodcast at gmail.com. And if you want, I'll be sure to read it out. I can read it out on the next podcast, or if you want, or if you just want to get back to me, or if you just want me to get back to you, I can get back to you, I can get back to you privately. So that about does it for this week. Until next time, I'm John Bailey, and uh, we're almost 100 episodes into this bad boy. I never did get to see bad boys this weekend. Maybe it's a good thing. The theme song for Popcorn Junkie is Funky Popcorn by The M. Look up Funky Popcorn by the letter M on SoundCloud for more of their music. Artwork provided by Nafio, N-A-F-Y-O. Look up nafio.deviadart.com for more of his artwork. 